number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where interesting, intriguing, and exciting people engage in unscripted exchanges of ideas, stories, and perspectives. It's not an interview. It's a powerful conversation. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where I go deeper into conversations with amazing people from around the world. And I cannot wait for you to listen to today's conversation because I've got a guy who I've recently met and who I quickly liked. And whether he likes it or not, I am now calling him a friend of mine. Uh, His name is Mike Downey. He's a writer, director, and producer of numerous award-winning documentaries, including Secret Path, Invasion of the Brain, Snatchers, One Ocean, and The Hockey Nomad. He has a degree from the University of Queens and an MBA from the Schulich School of Business, which if those of you don't know, it's a pretty big school, pretty swanky. Uh, and on top of all of this, he is the co-founder of the Gord Downey and Chenny Wenjack Fund, which is doing everything in their power to create a path of reconciliation for the pain caused to Indigenous people in Canada through the residential school systems in the past. So, Mike Downey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Stuart. How's that for an intro? That was really good. I'm, I'm, uh, as you can't see, I'm, I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that was a good intro. Well, you know what? I can follow you around anywhere you go. I'm happy to do it for you. Um, so no, seriously though, you know, for, for those of you who are listening, it, it's funny how with just certain people in life, um, no big surprise to the listeners who there's certain individuals that you meet who you just get along with easy, easily or more easily than others or people who mm-hmm. you just vibe with. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you're one of those individuals who I brought on uh, as a speaker for last year's Top 10 event. And mm-hmm. that's where we met. And very quickly, within, I think, a very short period of time, we were making fun of each other and kind that's of right. taking jabs and, having, and, and being, being what, what, what boys will be boys no matter how old they are. We, we can't get ahead of ourselves. So mm-hmm. it, it's nice to have that connection with you. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, I think that, um, um, and I agree with you. Um, and I think it's when you notice in someone else that, um, that they're open, you know, that they're open thinkers Mm -hmm. and, you know, that their heart is kind of, I don't want to get, you know, too heavy, but that their heart isn't weighted down too much so that they have that kind of, um, yes, I think it's a lightness of being really, you know, and and I, I, I notice it with, with people all the time. And and I think that, you know, we probably subconsciously, um, put out a, you know, when we're meeting someone, we probably put out a few little probes, you know, to sort of see where they're at. Um, and you, you can sort of see, Oh, didn't take the bait. Okay. Yep. Let's yeah. just be for, let's be formal. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, yeah. let's not, uh, let's not go too deep. Um, and, um, but yeah, no, it is, I always find, uh, it's a real, uh, it's really fun when, when you meet somebody and you just kind of have that, that energy right away. But I think a lot of it is, uh, um, people that, uh, you know, don't, aren't afraid to be vulnerable, you know, cause yeah. that's usually where the best humor comes from and everything else. And if you can't, you know, if you're not really that good at making fun of yourself, um, you know, it just kind of becomes like, Oh, okay, we're, we're guys. We'll, yeah. we'll keep up the, you know, we'll keep the uh, uniform on the, the, uh, you know, uh, the protective uh, gear on and, right. and uh, we'll just sort of talk about stuff that feels safe. So. I, I gotta say that it's, I just find that, um, such a frustrating thing to experience in life in general, where I meet people, whether it's at a social function or in a business setting and just how guarded they are as if, 
somehow they're trying to convince me in this case that they are the one human being on planet Earth that doesn't have problems, that doesn't have insecurities, that, oh. you know, has not made mistakes. And it's like, yeah. really? Really? Are we going to, yeah. are we doing this? This is so silly. I know that you shit and piss. I know that you, <laughs> like, you've probably had an orgasm a little sooner than you wanted to. <laughs> right? So let's just cut the shit and get to it, right? But you yeah. can, but they, it's, but, and that's more common, I find, than not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, yeah, no, there is a real, you can have a real breakthrough just by uh, deciding that, that you're going to, you know, not play by those rules. And, you know, I think it, it is, I think it's probably why it's really important to really, you know, try to have a mix of the people in your life so that, you know, if you are, if you're a trader, um, and you're surrounded probably by, you know, let be very sort of typically male, you know, kind of cohort and, right. uh, like whatever your occupation is, it kind of takes you into that world. But I think it's really important to try to get that balance. And I, you know, just, I guess probably my work helps because I, you know, need to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different, um, you know, walks of life. Mm-hmm. And one of my, you know, most, as a director uh, for documentaries, one of my most, I'd say, important jobs is to make people feel comfortable very quickly. Because I'm about to bring out a camera, and mm-hmm. which typically makes just about everyone kind of, <clears throat> yeah. you know, the old, the clenching of, of the sphincter. And uh, <laughs> so my job is, and it, you know, it, it, it's not about, um, you know, it's for me, it's not about handholding as much as it's just about, okay, I need to show to you that I'm not a threat. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to trick you. I'm not going to try to, I'm, I might challenge you, but, but, um, I need to get and you know, it's essential that I get that real person, whoever that person is. So in some place, in some ways you have to get them to drop that, you know, um, that armor. Um, How, so what's, what's your trick? How do you do it? Well, you, you know, there's, there's a couple things. One is I try to just be really, you know, sort of transparent as much as I can, you know, and, and also, you know, just try to cut through any kind of formality. So it's, um, I'd say it's probably in some cases, it's almost like the language that you use just to say, um, you know, it's great to meet you. Um, and you know, I'm sure you, <laughs> piss and shit no i, I that, that, <laughs> yeah. that'd be uh, i'm just picking that up from you right. i haven't used that one yet but <laughs> it's no, all yours um, no, Take it's, it. it's, no really it's it's just about i think you know just being open and honest mm-hmm. and i'll probably make a joke i'll i'll make some self-deprecating joke um and you know try to um you know just just make sure that they they have a you know they have a feeling that they are allowed to just be human and yeah. typically you know, what I'm really saying is the thing that in, in a documentary, and I learned this a long time ago, is what typically happens when you put it all together? Because, you know, when you're out um, interviewing, you know, you're really at, you're not at the earliest stage, but you're at a very, you know, it's, that piece is going to be worked on, like, for weeks and months afterwards, you know, when you have all the pieces that you think you're going to need, and then you always need more. But as I say, you know, in the end, the information part will probably be written because we'll we'll write it, we'll rewrite it, we'll do it to picture, you know, we'll we'll keep keep working it, especially if it's like, you know, anything science or you know a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But what we can't do is emotion, 
uh, enthusiasm. We can't write really write that in because it, it won't sound right, you know, mm-hmm. for our, our narrator or, you know, if there is one to be trying to move that kind of, uh, it just doesn't work, yeah. but you are on camera. And, and so whatever your excitement is, you know, whatever your energy is, that's really what we need. And, you know, I can tell you for a lot of these nature of things, documentaries that I do, there'll be a moment and, and I will see it. It'll be, you know, with the, the scientist or, or the researcher, whoever it is, professor, and they'll just, they'll just come across with something that is kind of disarming and it's, you know, just a, could be anything almost tell a good story. And I, I will know that when people see this and they, I talk to them afterwards and they say, you know, the part that I really, really liked and I'll be like, uh, and I do, yeah. cause I know it's that moment. And then they'll say, I liked it when he's, you know, basically, and what they're thinking is, you know, if I had had a prof like that, you know, I would have become a, you know, right. uh, a physicist or a, uh, something or other. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's just a piece of they're just being human. Right. They're being human. They're really smart. You know, they're really smart. Yeah. You know, that, that's another piece I have to do is like, OK, you're not. And I've done the research so I can, you know, I can almost keep up with them. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you are not talking to your peers. You're not talking to someone like me who's, you know, kind of read what you've done and is really, really intrigued. You're really talking to somebody at a cocktail party or that you just met, you know, in a bar. Yeah. Um, and, and you're telling them a good yarn. Yeah. And so you, you're going to have to come down from, you know, all, and it's typically jargon and things like that. Right. That's a, that's a, that's kind of a piece of armor, you know, it's like, you know, it, it makes it, it makes what you're doing seem more important and kind of a little bit impenetrable, you know? Right, right. Uh, but that doesn't work for this kind of storytelling. It just, it doesn't work. So why is it, you know, because I, I want to get into that, because obviously you, you've you spent a significant amount of your life, and you still do, um, telling stories or helping people tell their stories or mm-hmm. telling yep. important stories about, about the world that we live in. Why is it important for us to tell stories and to hear stories and to be engaged in stories? Like, what, what role do stories play, and should they play? Well, I think I think they open our world, um, and I think that like a really good story, a, you know, a story well told, um, is going to take you somewhere that you probably couldn't get to on your own. Right. Um, so, and um, and it's going to it's going to open up something to you that you. And here's the thing. So there's, a, there's I think there's a couple different couple different types of these kind of moments of or, or realizations. One is you just didn't know anything about it. Like, oh, okay, I did not know anything about snow leopards in Tibet. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. You you are telling me some stuff that I didn't know. That's kind of cool. And so that like our brains are wired for novelty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we come across something that we don't know or haven't seen before, it really kind of pops for us, right. and that 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 happens for a real specific reason. Um, but there is a novelty piece to that. But then there's something else that's actually more powerful, and that is you know something, you, you believe you know something, or you're familiar with something. If I can take that and I can subvert that so that you, you may not even be wrong, but you may have sort of not really understood its relevance or its you know, power or, or something. And if I, can, if I can take that, which is not unfamiliar, unlike snow leopards, but it's something that's familiar and I can flip it upside down your, your moment, um, of, of, you know, sort of recognizing that will make a real profound, um, uh, impact or, or it'll, it'll have a, you know, it'll have resonance 
with you. And that's a really, I think, important part of, if you think about it, like a lot of humor is based on, yep, we're going left, we're going left, we're going left, oh, and the hard right. right. So it's sort of like we're going, like, I, yeah, I, I, know what you're ta- I know what you're talking about, that's familiar to me, and then you flip it. So that, to me, whether it's for humor or just for a great turning point, you know, a plot point in, in a story, it's really important that, um, because otherwise, if, if that's not happening, you can kind of, and you've been in these conversations, Stuart, where you can kind of just know what the person's going to say next. And, right. or, or if they're telling a story, it's like, yeah, I think, I think I know where we're going here. We should, you, yeah. we need a good edit here <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, these, these plot points are all in a straight line. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I know where this is going and which sometimes can be kind of, you know, rewarding that you sort of can, uh, but not for very long, you know, if you can sort of see where, where the end is. Right. Um, so I think just that's our, you know, our, I guess curiosity, but you know, the more that, and, and I, I say this to my, and I'm working on something right now where, you know, there's a lot of research that we're compiling and, and now you start to fit it together and now it has to move from information to a story. And I say this to myself, you know, at each stage is we have to have somewhere to go next. Right. So this is a great little piece. You know, we got to start the, the documentary has to start with a great scene. Um, and then we have to have somewhere to go. That's obvious, but you know, it has to be somewhere new. Right. Um, and you know, sometimes it tells you, you know, what's missing. Cause you know, if you're, you know, you just talk to a scientist and they do brain scans or something like that. Well, we probably need to go somewhere completely different after that. And I think that is kind of a, again, somebody who, you know, is telling a good story. It is a, it's never in a straight line. And there's but, always, you know, a turn that you maybe couldn't quite anticipate. Do you then, though, ever find yourself wanting to use the stories that you're telling through documentary um, as a means to not just surprise people, but to essentially break them free from their own little bubble that they live in so that they kind of wake up to the reality of perhaps something that's really happening on planet Earth? Um. Well, if we're, I mean, let's let's look at an example. You mean like something that's maybe got an environmental message or, or something like that? Yeah, it could be that because I, I mean, I guess I, I was thinking while, while you were speaking just now about the opportunity you have when you have the attention of an audience watching a documentary mm-hmm. and you can, I mean, you're the one who's directing it. You can take it wherever you want us to go with you. And, mm-hmm. I, and it just, the curiosity crossed my mind where I wondered if maybe you ever find yourself knowing that you can take a story in one direction with the goal of really, you know, wanting to shake up your audience's perspective on either this particular subject or maybe even just their own life. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're doing a, a, an episode on, uh, on on snow leopards in, in Tibet, and um, all of a sudden there's a part of you that realizes that if I just capture a shot right now of these mountains in this way, I might actually even not just educate people about snow leopards, but I might even actually inspire them to want to get out of their house and start traveling to places that are not Cancun. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Well, I think you have to be a little bit careful, especially when it's, you know, when you're, you have to be a little bit careful not to have an end game. Um, because then you're kind of getting into the, you're getting into, um, you're you've got an agenda mm-hmm. or you've got it there's an ideology and, and that is not good because it 
it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't happen in some way, but as the director, you have to, you're going to try to be neutral to not kind of load this thing up so that it is something that um, is good for you. That type of thing. I know that's not exactly what you, what you're what you're getting at here, mm-hmm. but but if if you just so so there's that. So you have to be a little bit careful not to have your hand on you know your thumb on the scale, right? So that you're kind of setting things up for people to uh, to reach a certain conclusion. Okay. And, and I would extend that to say what you – I think what you really want to do is you want to take people sort of to the edge and then have them look out. Okay. And you're going to write to that. And, and, if, and if you're – you know, if, if you like – and I do like to write, um, you know, a little bit of poetry, um, a little – I like to sort of – even with the most – you name it, like stuff that is pretty science there's always got to be room for a little bit of, of the sort of this, if not, not maybe the social condition, but, but a, a little bit of philosophy, like just wax poetic right. at a certain point, because if you can't, then it's, it's, you know, you kind of wonder, well, is there really any sort of weight or, you know, gravitas to this subject? Because, you know, I didn't just ask you to sort of watch this so that you could learn all this about it. I do want, I do think, there's got to be something there that makes you feel something. So if you can hit that, if you can hit that button, and again, I'm that's why as I mentioned the piece about not having a you know a destination necessarily picked out, but if you can get them to a, get the audience to a point where you're sort of you know you've moved some information, you've kind of maybe open open them up to something or other, uh, and then to maybe sort of set the table like about what this could mean in terms of you know, um, like we just did something on laughing and crying and, okay. and I knew, I knew at the end, you know, you gotta have something to go uh, talk about having somewhere to go to at the end, you have to have somewhere to go to. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, it shouldn't be, you know, in summary, uh, right. <laughs> let's go over, let's go over everything we <laughs> yeah. just learned in right. the last 45 minutes. So, mm. you know, and in that one, you know, it occurred to me pretty early and I probably wrote it pretty early in the whole process of research and, and, uh, was, you know, something, something along the lines of, you know, these two, you know, human vocalizations, laughter and crying are really the, the, the most significant, they, they represent, or they sort of, um, denote the most important moments of our life. You know, right. some are really joyous and some are really sad, Yeah. but the stuff that's in between typically, you know, gets kind of, just lost, you know, um, to the winds of time. And, but those two experiences are really, when you look back on, on a life, um, and I don't, I, I think I had well lived and I said, I changed it to fully lived. Yeah. Those will be, those will be what come back to you. And so, so it kind of goes beyond like, wow, I didn't know this about laughter and I didn't know that about crime to like, Hey, just think about it for a second. These are the things that make life special. And, and, um, you know, so that, that was kind of a piece that I had at the end. And I I thought that was kind of a nice open-ended way of saying, you know, you've learned, there's quite a bit about this. Um, and just don't forget that next time you're having a good laugh, like look around you, you're surrounded by people that typically the people that if not really like you probably love you. Yes. You're being your most, you know, um, authentic you 
And when you're crying, um, you are, again, probably surrounded by people that really care about you. And so, you know, that one kind of went, it worked, it worked for me. And and I think it, uh, it probably worked, you know, pretty well for just getting, you know, a jumping off point. So it's interesting that you just made me think about a time when my brother told me a story about coming back from Uganda, where he was doing some work in some villages there. And he said, you know, it's amazing how these people, uh, they don't have anything. Um, Most of the people don't even have enough money to buy a pair of shoes. And he said, um, but when I walk through these villages, he goes, I guarantee you, they laugh more than most Canadians I know do uh, mm. in a whole month. In one day, they laugh more. And wow. I thought, God, you know, it's, it's laughter is, in fact, one of those things that uh, I really feel has helped me survive some of the toughest moments of my life. And um, when I look back at my life, I, I think about certain health uh, decisions I've made. Yeah, I could probably exercise more, a little bit more yoga, a little less beer, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a little less red meat. But I always find myself looking back and like, yeah, but I do one, I do one thing a lot, and that is I laugh a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I find that that's it, it plays um, such a big role in our lives. But you know, speaking of that, though, when you think about the story of our lives being kind of spoken uh, or, or at least retold through our laughter and through our tears. You know, what is it that we as human beings, you know, what, what, what's, what's part of our own story that we, that you notice that we just don't share? So when, the, you know, you put a camera in front of somebody's face and that makes them clam up and they get worried about saying certain things about their life or, I mean, you've had intimate moments with hundreds and hundreds of people mm-hmm. where you've been interviewing them and getting their perspective on life. What's something that you find that we as human beings, we don't share with each other that we do need to share? You know, I think... I th- I think people have I mean it makes sense um, it's um, it's sort of self preservation but I think people have difficulty sharing um, anything that makes them look vulnerable or or stupid silly I mean fill in the blank w- yeah. with whatever you like and and I think that's probably pretty obvious but I I do think um, and the reason I say it that way is it, it's 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 also to me as obvious, if not more, that by sharing that you, whatever that is that you're hiding, you know, what, you know, I don't want to, you know, use the closet metaphor, but whatever it is that you're trying to cover up, you are empowering that memory or whatever that is. And I'm not talking about, you know, trauma. Um, but, but typically these things are, are usually kind of goofy, you know, that, uh, people would not want to share. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the more that, and it takes, and it, you know, often it takes a bit of work. Um, but as soon as you do sort of engage and as you know, you know, this, I mean, humor is the easiest way to do it. Right. Um, but I think as soon as you are willing to sort of, you know, like, um, you know, open kimono, if you will, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just, it, it's empowering. It's yeah. empowering. And it, um, and it, and it makes you connect with other people. It makes people connect with you. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, oh gosh, there's just, there's just so many little things that, that can happen and, and you just feel like you're kind of hiding something. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes it's confidence, but you know, the confidence grows. I think sometimes when you are able to just, yeah, typically it, you got to be able to poke fun at yourself, Yeah. but it is something you can work on too. So that's what I think that we're. You know, in terms of just that, you know, ability um, to, 
reach your full potential. Mm-hmm. A big part of it, I really think, is because I just think we we we're we think we're able to. You know, we've kind of been talking about this almost the whole time. Like we think we can use jargon, or we think that we can use stuff to kind of hide behind. And there's a humanity that that kind of gets that that kind of gets you know hidden. Um, when we do that and the more that you go the other way, the more freedom that you feel. I mean, that's kind of what's happening with, you know, you and your, your, your bestest of, of friends, you right. know, there's a, there's something that, Hey man, you say whatever you want. Like, yeah. You, Just you know, give it to me. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And yeah. you can tell us anything about you, you know, like, and I could talk, you know, we were talking about having teenage kids and stuff. I can tell you that's one of the big things for that age that they have to get through, which is this, you know, I've seen it um, through my own kids where there's an age, there's just sort of this age of conformity where, and it's probably um, around 12 or 13. They, they really do think, my observation has been, they really do think that they're all kind of the same so that there's this scale of like, you know, the best to the worst. Right. And because they're all just, there's only one way of judging people. Is, you know, <laughs> are, are you smart? Are you good at sports? Are mm. you cool? Are you attractive? All those things. And then you see an unlo- you see a loosening of that a little bit later um, in the teen years, where it's just the, almost like a realization, like oh my god, we're all so different. And the guy or the girl that we kind of made fun of because they were sort of different, they're actually pretty cool and yeah. they're kind of funny because they <laughs> yeah. say stuff that I could never say. Yeah. Um, and because I've got too much to lose, you know, yeah. like I've I've got status. So so you, you, there is this there is this. Um, opportunity to you know to be more open and you got to you know you got to pick your moments you got to pick your audience a little bit but it's something typically somebody who kind of takes over a room um either they're professional or they're just somebody who's probably on some level pretty unguarded you know yeah and and they're not really going to slip up because if they do and someone like you says something and you know that might be embarrassing it's like no. Yeah, that's that's funny, man. Like that's totally yeah. funny. Yeah, I, and and it all just carries on. So like there is no, you know, there's really you just I don't know. I mean, you know, I I tell uh, you just think made me think about this. I, I tell a story in one of my corporate speeches where um, I remember the very first time I told that I was so nervous because I was about to talk about going through a depression in my life where. I wasn't uh, confident. I didn't want to be on stage. And I talk about this period in my life, which lasted about six months. And um, the very first time that I shared it, I was like, oh, my God, like these people are going to lose respect for me. They're going to think I'm weak. And no big surprise, at the end of that presentation, uh, the one thing that everybody wanted to speak to me about was my story about going through a depression. Yeah. And and now, that was, I don't even know, probably 10 years ago, and now it's it's in every presentation I do, and and um, I don't feel afraid anymore to, to show that part of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, I was, I was really, I mean, even the first time I did it and got a good response, that wasn't enough. I still needed to do it probably 10, 15 more times before I started realizing, okay, you know, I'm, it's okay to be this vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and people aren't um, as judgmental uh, as, as what have I, what I would have expected. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about that, though, mm-hmm. I, 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 this wasn't one of the questions I had for you today, but I want to throw it in there. Um, uh, obviously, you, you know, many people listening, um, and, and, and for those who don't know, uh, your brother, Gord Downey, uh, one of the greatest and most uh, famous uh, Canadian uh, rock stars mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
And so when we lose a loved one, as as we all know that Canada lost uh, Gord and, and you lost Gord as a brother um, to the uh, to the the one thing that we all can't stand and we've all had to face in our lives at some point is the the beautiful C word of cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you when when someone when a loved one dies. Um, we mourn, and the mourning is big in the beginning, and it's, and it's always there for the rest of our lives. We'll always miss that person. But 99.9% of the world's population, when they, when they lose someone that they love, is not actually in the spotlight, is not be, being asked for interviews, is not being asked um, you know, how they're feeling, is not having like, you know, almost a camera turned around on them. What, what, what was it like for you... Um, to be vulnerable, which is to be your authentic self and to mourn the loss of, of your brother and your family member, um, while still almost on some level being under the scrutiny of, of other people. I mean, you, you could, you, I would imagine you'd probably walk into a cafe a month mm-hmm. later and people would look at you, oh, there's Gord Downey's brother. It's Mike, how, how you doing, buddy? How you feeling? Mm-hmm. What was that like? To, could, were you able to be authentically vulnerable during that period? Um, well, I mean, I would... S- the whole, um, I mean, and <laughs> it, I mean, it happens to this day. I mean, uh, the one thing that, uh, I, I can, I can almost sense that it's about to happen is, um, it's, and this is typically people that I know, not even, not, not all the time, but, um, um, some I can see somebody making a beeline towards me and I'm like, Oh, they, they have something they want to tell me. Right. And, and they, they want to tell me how sorry they are. Mm hmm. And every time that happens, it chokes me up, Right, you know, like it's been, it'll be two years in October mm-hmm. and every time it happens, it chokes me up because I know, and I'm struggling right now, but I know how important it is to them mm-hmm. to just have a, an audience with a family member, um, and to say, you know, your brother really touched me yeah, and I really miss him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I just, I, you know, in terms of me being authentic, you have no choice. It's such an authentic moment of, and I always, it, to me, it just felt like shared pain. And I can tell you when Gordy, I mean, there was the first, the first diagnosis when the diagnosis became public and it, um, you know, to hear that or just to feel that, that wave of, of grief and sadness, you know, right across the country, um, you know, it didn't make it easier. I can tell you that. Yeah, um, okay. but it also made you feel like you were also a, just a part of something. And, and I don't think anyone in my family ever, um, really distinguished, you know, that the people that really wanted to give us, you know, their condolences or, or just their, you know, just to, just to say that they, um, they were sorry. Um, you know, if you're really going through it, you're never thinking, um, uh, well, geez, can imagine how bad I feel. You know, I shared a room with this guy for 20 years, you know, imagine how I feel. And you never, you don't really feel that way because it's, so there's no, there's no bitterness. It's real. There. There's no, there's no bitterness in the sense of having to share. Oh no. Oh no. no share I, his I, loss with other people. No, no, not a bit. And, and I would say, um, it's something that has, um, you know, it's, I think it's made my, I, I don't know if I can say it's made my heart grow, but mm-hmm. I, I, 
I love hearing. I mean, there's a couple things going on, I guess. I mean, one is it, it's a reminder of the life that my brother had. I mean, sure. it's a real reminder because I got to tell you, they're right up until that, you know, that last tour. And um, it, it was very hard for me to be at a show and not just, you know, be be there just having the time of my life right every time every almost every time I mean yeah. every time and it was very hard for me not once at some point in the show to elbow some stranger beside me and say see that guy up there yeah, yeah. that's my fucking brother <laughs> and, and I would say it because I had to because I could barely even believe it you know <laughs> right and and this was 30 years in like I just my my the sense of pride that I had right uh, in what he was doing yeah. in the band and these these you know, group of friends and right. what they had achieved. So, you know, <laughs> and when I hear people, when they say that, I know what they mean. Like, yeah. I know okay. that he did touch them and that they are, I'm, I think it's wonderful that yeah. they feel that way and that they feel that they had a little piece of him, you know, and, and there was, you know, you could say, you know, I think there was enough to go around and, yeah. and then some. And so, and and there is and you know what but i i do i do um i um i i take it as uh just a great um you know a great recognition of, of everything that he did and and i think that he did for us more than entertain which was no you know you go back and you look at the, some of these songs and and i i mentioned it um quite a few times and you know he he helped a lot of us and it you know, it spreads over a couple of generations, but almost developed the sense of sort of a humble kind of patriotism. Yeah. You know, and he wasn't a Gordy actually wasn't that much about he wasn't a flag waving kind of guy. Right. But he liked I think he just liked our stories. And for whatever reason, and he wasn't the first, but he was very good at just sprinkling them so that they never became a kind of a lesson. Um, but they always were kind of like they sort of made you a little bit curious about yeah. your own, you know, your own country and, and some of these, you know, people. And, uh, so I think that when you add all that together, um, as well as just being someone who's just so born, you know, for the stage, sure. um, to just express himself. I mean, like a painter, you know, yeah. oh, I yeah. mean, he literally was up there painting those songs for mm. us. And, you know, so yeah, being reminded of, of, of that, you know, uh, let me, let me, it's a quite a feeling. It's quite a feeling, sir, to be. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Let me let me ask you: If I was interviewing Gord right now, mm -hmm. and I asked him, "What would you elbow some stranger next to you and say?" That's my fucking brother right there. What do you think he'd be most proud of you about? Um. Oh, that's. <laughs> I was going to say that's a terrible question. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you brag about yourself for starters. Yeah, which yeah. As, as if anyone who's listening to it's this. It's so funny because I was about to say the as you, you know because you, what you do to buy a little bit of time you say that's a great question and I was about to do that and I thought there's no way I'm going to say that's a great question because <laughs> it's not. But I was I, I was hoping this. you'd ask me that, Stuart. <laughs> I'll say this. Um, I think he would. Um, it would be along the lines of um, my almost like for my entire life, um, the ability to um, meet people and to connect with people almost, mm. I don't want to overstate it, but almost instantaneously. So right. like, you know, um, 
a, a kind of an ease in this world, which, which I think he always respected about, about me. I mean, I'm his big brother. So it was, it was a couple little things, but, but I, I think that kind of ease, cause you know, when, when we were growing up, you know, in a little town outside of Kingston, I just had, and my, my ability to move, uh, sort of, uh, into the world and, and sort of almost like, in a like physically like over space, um, but also like just, um, to be, uh, comfortable to kind of almost meet anybody. So yeah. I would travel to, uh, on kind of on purpose on my own, you know, like I would go on a trip mm. like for a few months and I would, and I remember telling, you know, my younger sister, Paula, and I remember telling Gord, like, if you get the opportunity, go alone because you are, de- you're definitely going to wish that you weren't alone at times, but it's going to push you into other people. Like you're going to meet so many more people. Right. And because you will need to, you yeah. will absolutely need to. And you will learn that, I mean, you know, as long as you're, you know, you're not stupid, you got to be, you got to pick your spots. Sure. But, um, but that's something that I learned. And just because, um, I really was, I was so curious to be out in the world at a really young age, like, you know, I was working in a mine when I was 18 years old in Northern Ontario. <laughs> I was living in a bunkhouse, you know, like it, it was, I was ready for the adventure of life at a very young age. And, and Gord, um, that wasn't sort of his natural inclination. And obviously he had other things that, you know, were really captured his curiosity. How the hell uh, did but, you end up in a mine at the age of 18? Oh, I, I'll tell you how, how it happened. Uh, first of all, cause it's I, not even, it's not even close to where you lived, right? Oh no, yeah. no, no. This was uh, this was a twenty four hour bus ride from Kingston <laughs> up to Man- Manitowoc. <laughs> but uh, I had uh, I had gone out. Well, I went out west, and mm-hmm. when I was eighteen, and uh, tried to get a job. First of all, I wanted to be a longshoreman in Vancouver. So I decided this <laughs> obsession. I wanted to be like <laughs> with people with ice picks and and want and eye patches and stuff like that. Right. So I, I had that sort of. Um, I don't know what it was, but I really wanted to be in that sort of man's world. Right. Um, and and then when that didn't work out, I went to the oil fields of Alberta to try to become a roughneck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and, think you can take a course in that, can't you? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure, but I, I didn't I didn't get hired, and then I got back I got back to Kingston. So I went out on this sort of trip and right and um, you know tried for these sort of you know whatever very manly jobs right. and uh, and then i got home and uh, the old you know it used to be something called manpower and oh yeah uh, i remember that <laughs> I, yeah yeah gender specific i suppose <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, well everyone knew that women they couldn't work back then well no no who's kidding why, themselves why, you don't have to help them get jobs it's, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah that's, it's only well, manpower i know yeah, I, I, look, yeah. I look back at that at that um organization and my mom used to always say go down to manpower get yourself a job <laughs> and then never even occurred to me just how absolutely mm-hmm. sexist that was mm-hmm. anyway so mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. you went you went down to manpower and you yeah uh, and they had the little you know they had those little um those little uh bulletin boards you know yeah. like in the in the middle of the room yeah, and, yeah and there like was the one cards yeah with the cards yeah and uh <laughs> and there was one for mining oh, in God. northern ontario and i'm like i'll take that <laughs> and uh i was i think they had a they were doing a big hiring push i think they picked a couple of markets because there was a few of us from kingston a few of us from i want to say hamilton and a few of us from i don't know ottawa or something but yeah what, anyway, you scared we were there. To do that? What, what, I would be scared like to go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go up in northern Ontario and I'm just going to mine. I'm mm-hmm. just going to go into a shaft. That's right. Yeah. And you, were, yep. you, were, you found that exciting. I loved it. 
So what were were you mining? Loved it. It was a tip. It's uh, you know, typical iron ore, you know, Canadian shield mine. So they were pulling, you know, zinc and copper and stuff. Um, Like a lot, some of these minerals, they kind of run together. So Mm -hmm. there was, you know, it wasn't gold or, but um, yeah, it was pretty much um, your sort of typical um, iron ore mine. And uh, how the hell did you meet girls? Oh my God. Well, here's the, here's, I'll tell you what, it was a really life-changing experience because, so we went up there, um, and moved into a bunkhouse, which I just loved, like the idea of having my own room in this yeah. bunkhouse. And we all ate all three meals, you know, three meals a day at the restaurant across the street <laughs> right. that, when we had a, a setup, right? Like you had a card and they, they, they fed you, yeah. they, they made your lunch for you to take to the mine. It was pretty cool. I love it. And, um, and, but there was this, um, there was this empty bunkhouse beside us and there was about eight of them all together and uh, uh, eight bunkhouses. And this is where all this, what they called it, the single men lived. And then right. if you were married, then you could get a house. They'd give you a house. And okay. if you had a kid, you'd get a slightly larger house and all this kind of stuff. So, but anyway, one day, because I went up uh, like late winter and then one day, this empty bunkhouse beside us all of a sudden filled up. And it filled up with these mining engineers from Queens and from Sudbury um, and I, I don't know where else. But and all of a sudden and so like I had not taken that that route. I had left after grade 12 mm-hmm. and I thought, OK, I'm done. You know, I'm you know, I'm quite happy to have a grade 12 education. Yep. And, you know, I was I went to a pretty I went to a pretty small high school. And, you know, I feel like in those days you know, it was the really super smart kids. We would call them the Browners. We're yeah. going to university. And then, then there was the college and I, I had looked into that. I was probably going to do that, you know, in a year or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I never really thought about university at all. All of a sudden, all the, this, this bunkhouse fills up and these guys are hilarious. Like they are, they're, and they're engineers, right? So right. they're building, uh, these coolers and the beer and it slides down this like an eavesdrop and into the, uh, you know, and they're like inventing beer drinking paraphernalia. Like, and, and I'm like, I got to go. And so I, I literally just walked over there and, and started hanging out with a couple of these guys. And yeah. then, and then, um, you know, within a few days, like, Hey Mike, um, we're uh, having a party over at so-and-so and, and, uh, you know, you're invited, come yeah. along. I'm like, oh, okay, sounds like it. And I get to the party. It's and I have there's there's very few young girls living in this town. Clearly, yeah, right. I get to this party, and it's girls and guys. And I'm you know sort of university age girls and guys. Right. And I'm and this friend of mine, Tex. I said, Tex, where did all the girls come from? He's like, there's a hospital not too far from here, and they've got nursing students. So we rented a bus. <laughs> we went. <laughs> We called, they put up a sign, we pulled up, picked them all up, and we got a bus driver driving them back at 12.30 tonight. No way. You guys are so fucking smart. (laughs) And that, I swear to God, I came back from the mine, and I said to my mom, I'm thinking of going to university. (laughs) And oh, oh, the other thing, the other thing that Tex did was when he was, they were packing up to, uh, you know, to leave at the end of the summer, and I was staying. And, uh, and Tex said, you know, you should 
come visit, like come visit me on, on campus. Yeah. yeah he, he was at Queens. You know, I was, a, I was a Kingston guy. I, I don't think I even really knew where the campus was, quite frankly. I mean, <laughs> right. I lived 10 miles outside of Kingston, probably didn't know exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said, uh, you should come visit me for a weekend, you know, come visit us for a weekend. And, um, and I said, Oh, okay. That's, 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 that sounds kind of cool. They said, yeah, come on homecoming weekend. Homecoming. Oh, I'm like homecoming. That sounds pretty lame to me. He's like, <laughs> right. trust me, Mike. <laughs> trust <laughs> this me. is the one you want to come to. I showed up and it was just insanity for 48 hours. Next thing you know, I'm back on this bus heading on my 24 hour bus ride home, still covered in flour, like, you know, head to toe <laughs> right. from, you know, being on the parade, the, yeah. uh, the homecoming parade where they were, they were. They had these fifty-pound bags of flour, and they had this little machine that kind of just would fire it up into the air. Yeah. So what what we did on the and we were on the back of a flatbed, um, and we were giving out lollipops or something like that. So everybody would the students would come from the side, you know, from the sidewalk into the flatbed, and then mm-hmm. they would let off this flour bomb. And it would cover everybody in flour. <laughs> Everyone and, coming for the free candy. Oh yeah! Yes, by, exactly, by the way, exactly. the, uh, the 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 price is you got to be covered in flour. That's right. And <laughs> so, of course, we on the flatbed were like it was inches thick, you know, at a certain point. And you know, uh, <laughs> the bus like driver said, thought I, you had a cocaine addiction. Oh yeah, no. A few <laughs> days later, I just looked like this corpse. <laughs> Going and now back you're heading back mines. up to the mine. <laughs> yeah, but I I can tell you, like on that bus ride home, I was just like. Okay. Yeah, I'll see you next uh, year. I got, I got, a, I got a few things to figure out here. Well, so. a lot of people who um, who are listening to this right now, especially people who are in, in America or in Europe, they don't know, but Queens Engineering Program is notorious yeah. for the people that take it and that are in it. And they're just, I mean, I remember I I went to a school about three hours away called Wilfrid Laurier mm-hmm. University, mm-hmm. and um, the stories we would hear about, you know greasing flagpoles and trying to get the guy to go to the top or you know oh, yeah. stealing uh rival schools mascots um yeah you name it these these, these guys oh you know these, oh, yeah. there's, no. there's a reason why those guys are still wearing their jackets 40 years later there's a reason yeah no they're 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 quite they're infamous and uh they would do stuff on uh you know april fool's day like disassemble a Volkswagen and reassemble it in a tree, you know, like completely, like maybe not the engine, but completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they just had, there's just a real, uh, it's quite a, and that, so that was really my introduction to like, talk about motivation. Right. It was like, you guys know where to find, you know, uh, women in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you are, you know, you're just all about having fun. You're invented. Uh, yeah. That's all I needed to see firsthand and say, so, oh, yeah, I've missed, I've missed something. I need to go back yeah. to the last fork in the road. And, you know. <laughs> Where was and, I? You know, and yeah. you know what? Exactly. And I was, by the time, you know, it took me a couple of years to, because I had to do, I tried to do grade 13. I kind of, anyway, it doesn't matter. By the time I started full time, I was 22 years old. Oh, so you were and, like, a, you were like, a, in their mind, an old guy. Yeah, except, you know, I mean, and I got in as a mature student, if you can believe that, at oh, 21, wow. which they obviously didn't have a, ch- a test. <laughs> right, clearly. <laughs> it's just a category. But, <laughs> as long as you weren't 19. And listen, man, I got, you know, I started full-time at 22, and I did, you know, I went out for the rugby team. I I did everything, Good and I loved it. And, you know, I tell people, you know, that – are, you know, my kids are, you know, I've got two, uh, university ones just graduated. I think they go too young. Like my, 
17 year old. He uh, will turns 18 on July, on June 8th. He'll be, he's going to Queens. He'll be there in September. He's 18. Yeah. Th- that's fine. I mean, I get it. Like yeah. he can't wait to get there and get out of the house and everything, but he's also going to be done by the time he's, he, he's either going to be, he's going to be like 21, uh, uh, or 22 and he's done. I know. Now I started at 22 and I can tell you that I actually, I worked it, it, not that, that that's important, but I got so much out of it. Like yeah. I was there on my terms. Yes. Um, I was paying for the tuition, which cost a thousand dollars a year or something. It was, right. And well, so thirties though, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you just hooked up the horse and uh, off you went to school. Every day, yeah, a thousand bucks, a couple of green, a couple of bales of hay, you're good to go. Yeah, a couple of bales of hay, that's all. <laughs> it was a barter system, actually. So you could, yeah. I, I paid an iron ore that I'd stolen from the mine. Uh, so, um, anyway, it was I a think... great age. It was a great age to, to uh, for me to start. And well, I had kind this, of, you know. This is a problem that we face in our world in general is that we, we, uh, I don't know. We expect young people to know everything, and 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 you know you you always hear that cliche thing that says I think that we should have a government that puts a certain amount of money, amount of money aside that pays for kids to go on an excursion in some developing country or anywhere they want to go in the world for one year and then come back and go to school. And I know that there are programs, but I'm saying like, what if we made it? You're not allowed to go to university or college unless you've got that under your belt. And what a difference it would make. In the way that we, uh, the way that we see the world, I, I can't even imagine how many kids would come back and probably not even consider going to university. They might come mm-hmm. back and have started their own business, or yeah. they want to go somewhere else. And but well, to, yeah. Listen, Stuart, to back that up, I can and and I've uh, well, I've heard it firsthand, and I did a little bit of reading on it as well. And and the perfect example of what you're talking about, although it, <laughs> it's it's not ideal, is uh, Israel. And the um, there are two years of uh, mandatory service right. that that starts when they're eighteen or nineteen. So they can't. There's no way to start university until they're twenty. Mm-hmm. And by then they've had these experiences. So they had this thing got them out of the house because that's kind of what you want by yeah. that age, eighteen or nineteen. Got them out of the house, uh, independence, um, and also a little bit. You know, because they are in the Israeli army, um, and mind you, you know, um, a majority of them will not have seen really action or, or you know, yeah. be on the front lines in, in any way. Mm-hmm. But other people that they know will have had some pretty, you know, harrowing experiences. Um, mm-hmm. And so they kind of come out of it uh, apparently with quite a um, just a more of a sense of what am I going to do in this world? Like, yes. Um, and where, where am I going to either leave my mark or what is it that I really want to do? Because, you know, they've had a, enough experience to know that, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a precious thing, this, mm-hmm. this life that we, that we have. And, uh, so, and you know what the results are like the levels of entrepreneurship there and, and people that they, if they do go to university at that age they're it's like they're on, it's, you know, oh yeah, you know, grease the wheels like they are. They do, you know. So yeah, I agree um, with you. So there, how did, there is how really you... there is something there. There is something to that. No, there and and I think hopefully we we, we figure it out sooner than later. At least if um if not as a, as a as a country as as just individuals. Um. Mm-hmm. So how did you then like in, in in give me kind of almost like the uh, the, the the ten second answer on this because yeah. I because I, <laughs> I have another question that I want to I, I want to get to because you're interested. 
your interest isn't that great. <laughs> it's like, in fact, it's... do me a favor, just don't answer this question. <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just nod. I'll, I'll know. Yeah. Um, okay. How did you like then get from? Because so I know you you did this, and then you. So you, you graduate from school, and I know you, you jumped around to a bunch of different jobs like so many of us do. Where mm-hmm. was it that you started saying, okay, you know what, I want to start doing documentaries? Um, it was um, – I was working as a economist, uh, mm-hmm. I guess you sort of like a junior economist, sort of entry level with a boutique uh, – uh, economic consulting firm downtown mm-hmm. and this crew, we, I was being interviewed. So I was writing kind of reports. Some of them would get, you know, picked up and reprinted in the globe and mail or whatever. And there was something I did on nothing major, but something on unemployment. And so this reporter, Brenda Craig from CBC Toronto local called me up and said, Oh, we're going to, you know, do a little piece on unemployment. You've got some good, good, you know, clips, quotes in this, this two pager that you wrote. And, um, so a little bit later that day, you know, the circus came to our kind of pretty small, slightly sedate office. And, um, you know, there was the camera guy, the sound guy, maybe a director and Brenda, the reporter. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're kind of transforming this room a little bit, setting up the lights. And, and I was just like, wow, that is really kind of interesting. And Mm -hmm. so did the interview said, okay, it'll be on, you know, tonight's news. And, and, and of course I, you know, as you do, uh, you know, when it's the first time, you know, I was pretty excited to see myself on television, of course. but what, but what really stayed with me was just, you know, um, uh, the, the idea of, and I remember I said to, you know, to Brenda, um, I said, so this is today's story. What's, what's tomorrow's story. And she said, we won't know till tomorrow, Mike. And I'm like, oh, wow. wow, that is so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and it really left it really left a uh, sort of it kind of imprinted on me about that um, what that might be like. And so within a year, I've got my job at CBC. So wow, it was you know what I had I had this interview had you know Gord I had a, a very good connection. Uh, Alan Gregg, mm-hmm. uh, who was his co-manager at the time, was deeply connected with Mansbridge and CBC. Mm-hmm. And so I managed to get an interview and I'll tell you, Stuart, it was the, I remember, uh, David Baze was the guy who interviewed me when I first met and it was the first time that I had a resume that I didn't, that I put everything in it. In other words, you okay. know how, especially if you move around, like you kind of go, well, I'll just leave that job out and then yeah. these two jobs will look like I did them for longer <laughs> and it won't, and it won't look like I'm just, you know, this you know, attention deficit, um, you know, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. something and, and somebody who can't really, you know, uh, commit to something. And it was the first time that I put everything in there and it was like, it was quite a bit, right? but it was like the mine and it was just so, and I remember we sat down for lunch at this place and, uh, and he was looking at it and I was like, Oh shit, that was, this might've been a mistake. Right. <laughs> How old are you at this time? Uh, so at this point I am, Oh, I mean, I am now 32. Oh, okay. So you're not like a spring yeah. chicken. You're not like, you're oh, no, like, no. Okay, and yeah. That's what I mean. Like, I've got, you know, I graduated when yeah. I was 26. You I got... went back to get my MBA when I was 28. Right. Okay. You, you so know, it's a real then... job. You got kids and. Uh, no, no, no kids. Oh, no, no kids. kids yet. Okay. No, okay. no, just, just uh, no wife, no kids, okay. girlfriend. But uh, so, and he looks at it and then he looks up and he says, My, you're quite a curious fellow. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, 
I think I've just arrived. Like right. it was just that moment of saying, I just, I just, I, I think I probably said, thank you. Like, yeah. Like he didn't judge um, it. He didn't look at this and go, no. Oh, you worked in a mine. eh? why the hell did you, he's like, Oh, why did you he, quit that job? Why did you, yeah. You know? He thought and, it was kind of cool that you had done all these different yeah, things. Exactly. Right. And so, um, and that was the beginning of, and you realize, you know, in television, that's kind of what drives it. Right. You know, like, Oh, you know, we could do a story about this. So next thing you know, I'm working at, CBC news and they had a feeling then, um, and I, they, you know, these things would change back and forth, I suppose, but they were hiring a few people for the newsroom that weren't out of journalism school, but had a background. So then mine was, I was working as an economist. I'd, you know, done an undergrad in life sciences. So, and it was, the feeling was, and I think you might've said like, we, you know, we'll teach you the journalism. You make sure that we don't, you know, screw up on getting the, you know, the numbers wrong or something right, like that right. for whatever reporting. And, and that was it. Um, wow. and then, so and, you, and then you, I just kept moving in that direction. And CBC. then you, you eventually started doing your own thing when, how much, yeah. how much further after that? Uh, so I did that. I did, uh, the, the, the news and I went to a great business show called venture, Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to an art show at CBC news world. And then I, uh, in 1999, I just, I, I'd been there for seven years and I just decided I was going to go out on my own. And I pitched a series to the life network. Okay. Um, and which is now slice, I believe. And, uh, and they picked it up. So then okay. next, the next year I had to deliver 13 half hour documentaries, uh, you know, wow. So, and, and would you say out of all the, the work that you've done, and, and this is me completely guessing, I have no idea, mm-hmm. um, is Secret Path like the like kind of your, 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 your biggest one you've done to date? Or is it just been, like, where does it, just, and, and if you can, yes. like, give, like, basically, I mean, like, I can tell people it's Secret Path. Well, no, you tell people. Oh, you, 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 yeah. yeah. No, Secret Path is, is a, um, well, I mean, it's animated, it's documentary, it, it's, um, a program that tells the story of uh, a 12 year old uh, boy named Chani Wenjek um, who runs away from his residential school. He's a Ojibwe boy um, or Anishinaabe and he runs away from his residential school in 1966 um, and tries to walk home and, and dies along the tracks trying to walk home in, you know, Gord, we, I found this story and Gordon and I decided we were going to try to tell this story. And it went on this very circuitous route for five years. And it ended up being um, an album. Gord wrote 10 songs that sort of tell the whole story of this little boy running away, um, trying to get home. 10 really beautiful songs. And then Jeff Lemire took those 10 songs and created a graphic novel with 10 chapters that mirror the songs and sort of added some to the content to sort of flush out the story a little bit, flush out the story. And then we put sort of those two pieces together and created this animated feature with, um, that tells the whole story of this boy running away. And then we have documentary top and tail that, you know, show Gord and, um, my brother Pat and I going up to his hometown to meet his surviving sisters 50 right. years later. Wow. Because for 50 years, his sister Pearl was wanting to get his story told to the world. Yeah. Um, so it's a very, you know, it's, it's just the most, it's a beautiful piece. And, um, it's so heart wrenching. It's heart wrenching. And it, there's something there, it, you know, Stuart, it, it'll never be, um, um, it just, it's just one of those rare, stories that it 
we managed, I think, to tell it the right way. Even like today, you would, and even then, I think, um, you know, people were kind of wondering, well, why, you know, a couple of guys from Kingston, should they be telling the story of a, you know, 12-year-old indigenous boy? And, you know, the truth is, Gordon and I started this, now it's probably been seven years. You know, we started it, you know, one of the first parts of it, you know, after we thought we should try to do this, we should try to tell the story, um, was, you know, I called up Channy's sister Pearl and, you know, introduced myself and introduced my brother Gord. She kind of, she didn't know who he was, right. knew maybe a little bit about the hip. And you know, she lives in a little town and, you know, yeah, um, you know, a fly-in, you know, remote community, um, um, Ogoki Post way up north. So, uh, you know, but in the end, you know, what, what was meant to happen, I think, is that Gord was, was meant to put the story in front of the country, you know, halfway through this or some point, you know, his diagnosis comes, uh, Mm -hmm. that he's got brain cancer and, you know, um, the, the attention that, that secret path received a big part of it was Gord's illness. You know, he had, he had already been out on the road. He did that farewell tour, say goodbye to whole country. And then on the last show in Kingston, he said something, you know, to the country um, that made all the indigenous leaders, you know, they, they, what I've heard is they were just shocked, many of them. Yeah. That Gord just said, look, we've got a huge problem in this country and there's a people that we've been trained to ignore. Yeah. But you're going to figure it out. Yeah. You know, we're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. Yeah. And then he Secret even Path called dropped. out the uh, prime minister too, didn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah. The prime minister sitting right there. He's yeah. basically saying, you know, you're going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, um, so there was this sort of call to action, which nobody knew. I didn't know he was going to do. Nobody really knew he was going to do it. Right. He did a beautiful job of it. Um, and um, and then two months later, Secret Path came out. And then it was like, oh, that's what he was. Right. And he kind of set the table for it. And then that came out. But, you know, by then people were going like, wow, Gore didn't talk about cancer. He didn't mention that his whole tour. Yeah. didn't mention his health. But this was the message that he wanted people to kind of wake up to. Right. And then Secret Path followed on that, you know. So there was this, this just the attention was so peaked and, and, it, and the timing was so right. I mean, the Truth and Reconciliation report had been out for a couple of years. Right. You know, was, was, wasn't people were trying to figure out what does this mean? What does reconciliation, what is it going to mean? And how's mm-hmm. it going to work? And. And this didn't answer those questions, but it was an example of what, you know, might be uh, uh, maybe a a path or just to get people, you know, engaged in this idea of, you know, what do you really know about your country's history? What do you you really know? Would you say that was the big thing that you guys accomplished with that documentary was essentially making just that many more Canadians aware of the problem? Yeah. And I would say I would even go further to say it what it what it really um, it made, you know, fans of, of Gord's fans of the hip, you know, that hip army, it, it kind of made them go, Oh, okay. I don't really know anything about that. Right. And there was a lot, cause I've heard from people and it, it makes sense. I mean, when Gord and I first heard that story going back all these years now, six or more years, it, a part of it, I think, and we didn't talk about it, but I think it was the fact that, you know, Gord had been 
you know, a touring musician in this country for at that point, maybe 25 years. I'd been out making documentaries for 20 years at that point. Neither one of us knew a story like that. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us knew much about residential schools, if anything. Right. Gordy, I knew a little. Gord knew a little. We didn't know much. Yeah. And, you know, it's like anything, Stuart, unless you have a story that kind of goes, it's just, it's like a, it's like a something, you know, you, the thought bubble is kind of empty. You know, right. you think, oh, yeah, what were those? Mm-hmm. What were they all about? So I think that somewhere in us, we thought, if we don't know a story like this, how many Canadians are out there that have no idea? And, you know, and there's a yeah. bit of shame. There's some shame that kind of comes with that. Like, you know, you think here we are as Canadians. And I think we can we give ourselves a pretty, you know, pretty hearty pat on the back for being, you know, not very racist and you right. know, pretty, you know, quite a, you know, a kind, mm-hmm. caring people. And then you see something like that and you go, it's, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, it's, it's our Holocaust, you know, and, and we just haven't ever, you know, um, really not even faced it, even known about it for many of us. Now, some did. And, yeah. and, uh, and, but I've heard from people who, now say, you know, it, there was one, it was, and you know, these are people, my vintage, you know, that grew up in the sixties and seventies, there was one that was a mile, you know, two miles from my house. I've heard these stories. Like, no way. So many times. Oh yeah. Well, there were how many, I mean, my God, they were every part of the country. God, it's and, so funny. Cause I, I remember actually when I was listening to CBC radio and they were, um, they were visiting one and it was like Burlington and in yeah. my in my own mind, I remember thinking, no, th- those yeah. things were way up north. They didn't happen nope. close to Toronto. Nope, they were. And then if you include the day schools, they were, they really were everywhere. Um, yeah, God. So, yeah. so that was just something that, and you know, and I think I go back to this. You know, why are you know why are you two guys why are you two hosers from Kingston? Why do you think you're telling the story? And the really reason was was that at that point um, we weren't going to reach. You know, if we had if this was being told at that time, I, I think perhaps by an indigenous, you know, producer, uh, creator, I think it would have been like, oh yeah, that's an indigenous story for indigenous people. Exactly. And it was like, this is an indigenous story for the country. Yes. And Gordy made it so, yeah, you know, hard to ignore, yeah. hard to ignore. And, it's funny, I caught you know, myself not too long ago wanting to ignore it. And I really am embarrassed almost to say that here during this conversation because I caught myself going, oh man, is, you know, is, are we still talking about this? As I was hearing another um, news report. Mm-hmm. And I stopped, and I guess being someone who works in self-development, I was able to stand back from the picture and look at myself and go, look at you. you, you the reason you don't want to hear about this is because on a cellular level, you're embarrassed to be a Canadian and you don't want to believe that the country you love so much was capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to believe that this is part of your history, even mm-hmm. though you weren't the one doing it. And um, it was a, you know, a bit of a, a, ch- a, a check on myself that was um, important. But I think there's probably a lot of people out there that have turned a blind eye to the information and haven't perhaps had the, um, the self-development skills to realize why they're doing that. And that's why I think you're right. It's so important that you and Gordon and all the other people who were part of, of bringing that documentary to life and all other future things that we see, how important it is that we don't turn our, our, our eyes away from this and, and, and look at it. Um, I think that a, a good example of that right now today is, is uh, climate change. 
and, mm-hmm. and and people are just they don't but every day in the news there's something about uh some other kind of catastrophe that's happening in the world where whether it's an island sinking or whether it's mm-hmm. hurricanes in the united states or tornadoes and people i think are trying to turn away from it yet we can't we have to look at this you, you know let me ask Agreed. you that let me let me ask you this as, as kind of a, a close one of my closing questions because i mm-hmm. i, I want to keep us on time here um mm-hmm. right now as a documentarian if I gave you like you know an unlimited budget or free will um, to do anything you wanted, what is another story out there that you're looking at that you think people need to know about that's perhaps something different than you've spoken about in the past? Is there anything you're looking at these days that you think, God, one day I'm going to talk about well, that? Well, there's there's one, and and I it would be um, it would be so hard to do, it'd be so hard to get uh, somebody to uh, to give it the green light, but. And it's kind of a, just a, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time is, and it has to do with climate change. Oh yeah. And, and that is, yeah, I, it's a revisit of the no nukes because, mm. you know, you look at, you know, and I've done a little bit of research into it. It's just like, you know, uh, nuke power is just, it's, it's just, you know, there's been a, you know, there was the, the last disaster in, in Japan and it's just, mm. it's just not, you know, it's just not, nobody's really, you know, allowed to be thinking that, you know, this might be the way that gets us, not that gets us the next 50 years and gets the, the CO2 out of the atmosphere. And the reason that I started thinking that why, you know, why is this so verboten? Like, why is it so forbidden? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a physicist, but to me, we have the risk of these, a lot of it I think has to do with, well, you've got these, you know, you've got the, the waste, you've got the spent rods that are used to power these stations, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's my take on it. If you've got, and I don't know what the, I kind of know a little bit about what the dimensions are, but let, let's say you've got a swimming pool full of, and it's not that much, I mean, in terms of like their actual volume, the mass right. of them. If you've got a swimming pool full of these things, and you now got that for the next 50,000 years, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, this has to be managed, has to be taken care of. But you've, we've already done that. We've done that in countries all over the world. We've done it in different parts of our country. And so we're already there. Right. What is the increased risk if we now add another, you know, another uh, addition to that pool? Right. Even if it's a second pool of the same dimension. Mm-hmm. What is the increased risk? And I would argue that I don't think there is an increased risk because you're already there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. you're already, you're not a little bit pregnant. You're pregnant. Yeah. So, right. so my feeling is, is that, and I just know like there's, I was just reading about one today in, and it's probably old technology, maybe it's a little bit old technology as well, but in Massachusetts that's shutting down and like the amount of power that this thing generates, like it's, it's like 800,000 houses and we are going to build more solar and that's great. And we're going to build more wind power. That's great. Except that, you know what? Every time you do the renewable for now, at least until the battery technology catches up, you have to back it up with a hydrocarbon power plant, right? Because you can't, they won't always be online and Mm -hmm. they won't always be able to, to, to generate. And that battery technology is coming. It's coming. But if you look at what the amount of species that we could lose in the next even 20 years or 25 years, right? like there is, 
And so that, that would be the one that I would want to do just because there is such a story to be told there. Like it really is, it became part of like the environmental movement. The weird thing is now I almost feel like this could be maybe the solution for this environmental crisis. Not the, not the solution, but it could, it could, you know, sort of, it could maybe decrease the worst, you know, potential uh, impact of, of global warming because you know, you look at Germany and after, uh, was it Fukushima in Japan? Mm-hmm. After that disaster, Germany said, okay, we are getting out of this, uh, out of the nuke game. And they've done that very quickly. And their CO2 levels have gone right up. They no were not, they could not do it and be neutral. Um, and because, you know, they've got, and, and they've got the renewable, you know, power. But truth is, you know, before when the renewables weren't, you know, weren't kicking in. It was coming out of a uh, of a nuke plant. Isn't that and, interesting? And now, now they're burning gas or they're burning something else. You know, right. Probably not. Probably not coal. But so that that's that's the documentary that I think could have real impact. Like if it was done through that lens of like, you know, what was you know uh, Jackson Brown and all those guys in the seventies, no mm-hmm. nukes and everything else. And I I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not perfect. Yeah, but when you look at burning fossil fuels and what it what it's doing and and just how hard it is for us to get off, you know, and then people would also argue and say people don't need to they, people need to conserve, right? And that's true. But sure. let's let's face it, it's going to get hot this summer. The air yeah. conditioners are going on. Yeah, you know, we need to do and, something. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's very hard to. I think this is the kind of thing, and they're expensive. They are expensive, right? But it is the kind of thing that governments can do, you know, mm-hmm. that are, and so you don't have to have every lot, you, may, you know what it's like. You see people walking down the street in Toronto, which I just think is such a progressive place to live. Like it really is. Yeah. I just think Toronto is one of the great cities of the world. It is. And, and it just is. And it's the, probably the, one of the most livable cities in the world. And you're walking down the street and you see somebody with their garbage and they shove it in a recycle, you know, you got the garbage cans, got the three holes in it. Yeah. It clearly marked like, here's the cans, yeah. here's the paper, here's the, here's the shit. Like yeah. here's the stuff that can't go in those. And what do they do? They just shove it in the can thing. It's a banana peel. You're <laughs> like, what the fuck? How hard is it? I know. How hard is it? <laughs> yeah, How I know. hard is it? I think about this all the time. And I think that's, me that's all crazy. Me too. Me too. And ultimately, I guess that's your point, right? Which is the idea that we can sit here and we can just have all kinds of faith in humanity that somehow yes. we're yes. going to do it. But the reality is, is that most people um, are assholes yeah. <laughs> or, can oh, at least, or have the capacity to be assholes. And so if we're going to rely on them to save our planet, we're going to be waiting a long time. And yeah. you really, you really woke me up. I didn't, cause I consider myself an environmentalist and, and I'm, I feel like I'm on the pulse of these things. And I, I had a, a certain sense of knowledge with, with nuclear power, but that's an interesting little, uh, little wake well, up call. Yeah. It, and, and, um, you know, I could be, I could be way off, but I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think it's even an acceptable conversation to have these days. Like I've, yeah. I've brought it up a few times. Oh God, no, yeah. no, yeah. no. I'm right. like, okay, but you know, we, it's not like, it, it's not like we don't have any right now. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and in Ontario, um, it is. I forget. It's forty to fifty percent. Like it's huge. of our energy. Oh yeah. No it's kidding. Huge. Oh yeah. No, it's it's so. And we don't have that many. We have what? Like no, in King no, Carton got... and one in uh, Ajax or Pickering area. And... Yeah, the Darlington out there. Yeah. Wow. It, no, 
they they really they are they're um so like i said you know you that is you, you look yeah you got to look at it you got to look at it and and um I, I think actually I read that uh, it's something Bill Gates has also sort of gone on the record of saying like it's probably something that we need to look at because wow. you know look at there's so it, it's so hard to get people I mean I, I think we've been working on it mm-hmm. but you know look look at Ontario you know like how progressive you know um, I think this is a progressive province no question here and and all of a sudden you know Doug Ford it's like you know we carbon you know carbon taxes are they're so like it you know they they're the thing that works actually because right. it, it's it's the most efficient way to say you know what we need to reduce this it's going to come at a cost mm-hmm. it has it already there's a great cost the external yeah. costs of you know burning coal or burning oil and gas so there is a cost involved and you know but if you're an individual you're going to get that all back yeah. Like you, you're not, you're not an, uh, you know, you're not an, a emitter. You're, you're going to get that back. Mm-hmm. And, and even with that, you know, we've got our, our province that's going to fight this, uh, the federal, uh, carbon tax system. And, you know, have you seen what the ads for what they're going to do? No. Oh my God. It's like, it's almost like they're equating it with litter. They're, <laughs> they're, they're like, we're going to, you know, uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal. Like it's what they're, so- they're talking about, uh, Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah, like it's not has nothing to do with what what they're suggesting has almost nothing to do with um, CO two levels. Like, oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, in, that's just in, the, in the atmosphere. Oh yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. It is. Well, politicians. Sure. It's like, oh, there's other ways to do it. It's like actually there are. This happens to be the most efficient and right. the one that, the one that you can just turn on, like mm-hmm. just turn it on. Yeah. Uh, and companies make a decision. Like, right. Do we do we want to pay this or do we want to retrofit? Mm-hmm. They make the decision. Yeah. It's, so, and then you can tweak it, you know, you can, you can set the levels. So interesting. Um, well, you know what? But, I think you should go to Bill Gates and ask him for the money to put this documentary together. Do you think, do you think, there you go. Think you, you know can what? Afford that? I'll, I'll make an introduction for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I'm, you. I'm the kind of guy. Um, You're listen, that kind of guy. <laughs> before I let you go, yeah. um, this has been a great conversation. I, no big surprise. And, um, yeah. I, uh, I gotta say that it's interesting to hear about all the crazy experiences you've had. I mean, you've from working in a mine to the days when you were deciding to go to university to MB, getting your MBA to yep. being a dad to going through loss. I mean, what, when you talk to people today and, and, and I'm going to make this my last question. We'll finish it mm-hmm. off here. What, advice do you have to people who now that you've seen enough of life and you've got more to see but what what do you what do you say to people like based on what you know now that you think people need to consider doing more often or the way that they need to live in order to lead a uh, a full life as you were saying earlier on mm. in the program what, what advice do you give to people when they're thinking about what to do with their lives i would now that is a great question. <laughs> tick, tick, Take your time. Yeah. I'm you're on a stopwatch. Yes. No, that's a terrible question. Yeah, I hate it. Tick, tick, <laughs> tick. Uh, no, I would say I would say two things. Um, don't be chicken shit. That's one of my favorite lines from a Gordy song mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Flamenco. Uh, don't be chicken shit. Um, <laughs> so that means so you know great. you don't like you don't like where you're at. Um, you don't like you don't like the job. Don't be chicken shit, man. Change it up. Yeah. Change it up. Yeah. And um, and obviously, you know, don't be an idiot. Yeah, um, but, but to, to, you can't keep sitting there forever. Yeah. No, you can't. You can't. And and also, um, if if not now, you know, kind of when. And, and maybe 
maybe maybe this isn't the time to to you know um, have that you know big life changing moment. But I don't know. Like I guess people, you can have regrets from some of those things. I just hear more stories about people who said, and you know, and then they'll tell you, and it was really hard. Yeah. You know, especially if you're leaving some kind of security. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, I got a very short story for you. Do you remember that uh, great movie uh, by uh, Jason Reitman, Up, with, um, oh, yeah. with George, oh, George yeah. Clooney? Yeah, yeah, yeah and, I loved it. And that came out, you know, he, he was like a professional, um, you know, he would just come in and lay all the people off, you know, yeah. these companies, and they didn't have the, the nuts to do it themselves. <laughs> They'd bring in a, a ringer. Right. And I was watching that, and it was right in the, you know, the heart of that financial uh, meltdown and stuff, and it was such a, such a difficult time for everyone. And I remember I was, I was sitting there in the theater, uh, and I was kind of like everyone. It was, it, it was, it was just kind of terror. It was terrifying. You know, the idea of these, cause remember people, they had real people talking to camera, talking about being axed and what it felt like. Yeah. Right. And, and it was all, it just was so personal and mm-hmm. like, they're going to go home and look at their kid. It was awful. And I remember just feeling the dread of it. And then I went, cause I, by then I'd been a freelancer for like nine years and I, and I just went, Oh, wait a minute. I can't get fired. Cause I never get, I'm half the time I'm unemployed. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm a freelancer. Yeah, like, I'm almost my whole always life fired. is about, my whole life is, a, is about, you know, um, hustling. Yeah. You know, like I'm always trying to get my next job. Yeah. And so it made me feel like, Oh, I'll never go through that because I'm already, I'm always with one foot in that fire. Yeah. And it was such a good feeling, Stuart. It was sort of like, oh, I'm actually, I'm, you know, that can't happen to me right. because it, it's always happening to me sort of thing. So didn't have the security. Yeah. Didn't have the security yeah. for that. And that, that was a pretty good feeling. And, and the other, so that was. I know, I know that back, exact feeling. You, you know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I love about. it. It's, and, it's, and it's and scary it and it's, it's scary, scary. but it, it's, it's amazing. It's like the, the idea of that, you know, that whatever you do today is going to control your future. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's so exciting. It's, it's thrilling, yeah. right, to know that. Well, and so, and I was talking to somebody the other night, and they were going through the same thing where they had, they've left the job um, and uh, the security, and now we're getting a little bit freaked out uh, as they started to, you know, look as to what was going to happen next, and, mm-hmm. and they got it. They got a few things going. A couple of irons in the fire, and I said, okay, one thing I want to tell you, your timing is fantastic, and they said, I mean, like how old I am or whatever. I'm like, well, maybe yeah. But I said, your timing is fantastic because it's almost June and you don't have a job. So have a great summer. <laughs> yeah, no, but right. Have a great summer. Good like, point. Good point. Live it, live it to the fullest. Yeah. Like, you know, try to, I said, labor day is coming. Yeah. <laughs> labor <laughs> day is coming. Yeah. But you got some time between now and then and, and take the time to kind of figure out what is, what is coming next for you. Do not panic. Don't yes. be chicken shit. Don't yeah. be chicken Don't shit. Go you made back a big to what move. You, were doing. you did that for a reason. Yes. You did that for a reason. And and the other the other piece I'd say so that's my chicken shit. The other one I would say is uh, is gratitude and and mm. just find a way to it to f- not just express it because first you got to feel it. Feel gratitude. You know, if you're in a relationship and the relationship is working for you, it's not perfect. It's whatever it is feel the gratitude for Mm -hmm. it, you know, and you got, you got a couple of healthy kids, you know, are you going to do this every day? Well, you might. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, but I try and just feel that gratitude, you know, like meeting a new, making a new friend like you. Yeah. Feel some gratitude, you know, like, you know, and, 
And uh, that is a very, it's something that I think we all um, can, you know, definitely think about, dabble with. Uh, a couple of indigenous friends that I've met and they, they practice it. And, and it's kind of one of those things you kind of have to practice it, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, um, and it's funny you say that. I, I, my brother, who's a bit of a curmudgeon, the other day where uh, the family was out at a restaurant, and I put him to the test. I said, tell me a, you know, the top five things you're most grateful for. And it was really interesting to watch how difficult it was for him. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'd ask him, like, okay, give me uh, – break down the theory of relativity for me. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and there's, he just – because he really had to, you know, he had to work on it. So I, I would say to those listening, without a doubt, um, at the beginning, you start, you know, really searching yes. for those things. But then all of a yes. sudden, first of all, you start repeating some of the things you said the day before, which is great. And then you mm-hmm. just start looking for things to be grateful for because you know you're going to ask yourself that question later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a big one. And I think it's, you know, sometimes these kind of things they are they're almost like it's like the um low-hanging fruit that you just assume you know god it can't be that easy it's like well you know something like gratitude actually is that easy um because you know you think about i mean you know and maybe it helps getting a little older i mean but you know now i've got you know i lost my dad um i've still got my mom you know i have a lot of you know I've got gratitude that she's still in my life. I've mm-hmm. got somebody that I can call and I don't have to apologize when I brag about what one of my kids has done. You right. know, like I'm, I'm grateful that I still have, you know, a grandparent, you know, that I can call and, and, and get that or just get some other affirm, you know, some kind of affirmation that I, I, you know, in my fifties, still nice to hear from my mother, you know? Yeah. So, but it's just as easy, you know, how's your mom, you know, like, ah, she's doing great. You know, right. it's like, yeah, she's doing great. And I really, you know, I really, um, should I, have, I haven't called her this week, Stu. I got to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I called her this morning. She's fine. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Is yeah. she good? Yeah, she's, she totally, good? she's totally great. She's, she's um, still, she's still uh, bitching and complaining about you, but everything else well, is fine. Well, I did. See, I took the old, I took her, she got a little wooden box with the, the menus in, you know, on the little cue cards. Okay. And I took that, uh, because I was going to repair it, I was going to re-glue it for. Her. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can tell her I've, I've, I've. Uh, it's only taken me three months, but I've, I've completed the job. Well, it was a little <laughs> more involved than I, I yeah. originally anticipated. I guess that probably happens when you sniff the glue. I think that's what was the problem. It slows you uh, down. Yeah, it's it, it definitely slowed me down. So. <laughs> well, listen, you know, um, those are two great pieces of advice. You know, the importance of uh, really taking, uh, you know, having gratitude and not giving a shit, or not not, not being a chicken shit, and. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think on some level, yeah, it is not giving a shit because you like. I think the reason people don't take that leap is because they they're, they're they're so convinced that there's so many bad things that could happen. People might not like them, or they might lose their friends, or they might not have the, their image. And you mm-hmm. can't give a shit, man. Just do it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. Well, yep. this, 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 I've, I can't tell you how much I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and, oh. and I really have. Like likewise, you know, likewise. yeah, it's like you're just so down to earth, brother, and and you're so um, uh, open and, and and honest and. And I uh, I can't wait to uh, to see what 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 comes next from hmm. from you. Is is there anything that you want to tell people as we send off that you want them to check out, or anything that you want to put their eyes on that you're working on, or that you've worked on in the past? Uh, no, I've got pretty much all my um, you know the nature of things on CBC. The documentary on laughing, the science of laughter and crying, is is out there. Um, and you know, but for people, um, thank you, Stuart. Um, you know, for people interested. 
Um, you can go to the Gord Downing Cheney Wenjack Fund. Um, you can learn about what we're doing to, in the name of reconciliation, try to make, I think primarily what we're doing is we're trying to make non-Indigenous people just more aware of, of the Indigenous, um, not, not just the plight of Indigenous people, because it's, that's too complicated, but just Indigenous lives. There's such a rich culture. There's, there's so much there for Canadians to learn about. Um, and, and really, I think going forward, I think we can create a way more, um, I just think a better country, a more dynamic uh, country, if we were just to understand a little bit more about um, the gift that is Indigenous culture, teachings, traditions. So um, you can go to the Downey Wenjek Fund and, and learn a little bit more about what we're up to. And then there's the Secret Path, and the other one that is Gord's live performance, the Secret Path, um, which just won a Canadian Screen Award a couple of weeks, couple of months ago. Amazing. Uh, Gord, Gord Downey's Secret Path in Concert. It's a bit of a sentence, but it's Gord Downey's Secret Path in Concert, Gord and that Downey. shows Gord. That's basically his last uh, public performance. So, oh, fantastic! Something to see. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Sure. Well, thank you. Yeah. For that. And, and I'm gonna, yeah. um, uh, I'm gonna, as a as a way of showing you my gratitude, I'm gonna go make a, a donation on that website right now when oh, I get off this be, call. That'll be wonderful, Stuart. Absolutely. <laughs> thank and for you. those for those thank of you who are listening, I encourage you to do the same because um, I can guarantee you the money's gonna go to the to the right place, yeah. um, which is your beer fund, right? Absolutely not, yeah. Stuart. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm crank kidding. call. Crank call. Yeah. No, I know yeah. that. I know Mike, and I know the, the some of the people he's working with, and I know that uh, they do great work. So I'm gonna go yeah. make a donation, folks. If you're listening to right now, go make a donation and and know that it, it, it is making the world a better place. It's making Canada a better place. And uh, and Mike, um, I wish you nothing but the best with whatever you're doing next. And uh, I do look forward to continuing the conversation with you on a future show uh, at some point down the road. Yeah, sounds good, too. Awesome. Okay, yeah. take care. Till then. Thanks. Bye-bye. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Thank you for tuning in to The Stuart Knight Show. We hope you've enjoyed this powerful conversation. People are fascinating, and so are you. And the right questions will prove it. We'll prove it. We'll prove it.